Welcome to another Ember Weekend. I'm Jonathan Jackson. And I'm Chase McCarthy. I'm Robert Jackson. And we are joined by Chris Manson. Hey, how are you? I'm really, really excited to uh, have you on the show and uh, talk about some cool stuff you've been working on. We're going to be talking about a lot of uh, Ember learning stuff and a lot of the work that you've been working on. Don't forget the Ember Community uh, Survey is still up. We're going to have a link to that in our show notes, but be sure if you haven't already seen it, there's a community server that we use to get feedback from the community to figure out where Ember is going, where it's been, and follow its progression. It takes about uh, 15 minutes and it will be a great help. First thing is, uh, do many of you know what the kind of stuff I've been working on for the last kind of year has been focused around? Or? Well, the thing that you and I've worked, I think, the most on has been two main things. One is uh, modification stuff. I'm just like making that more ergonomic and trying to f- knock down some rough edges and whatnot. And then also, you should join the learning team. You've been doing a ton of work in learning. This is, please don't uh, be upset. But from my perspective, it's a lot of infra stuff like making it like smoother, making the process work. I know at various points in history, like putting my Wayback hat on, doing things like the guides, like deployments and figuring out how to do releases and coordinating releases has been extremely painful. And I have had none of that pain since you've been involved. So <laughs> there you go. Well, this this is exactly what I was asking because um, <laughs> one of the things that's, I'm trying to do a little bit better at is reach out and talk to people about what I've been working on because if I'm doing my job right, you should never notice any of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I think we had a big launch almost about a year ago now, maybe it was a bit less than a year ago, of the new Emberified guides. And I used to ask people, did you notice any difference? And when I got a an answer back that's no, I didn't notice there was any change, that's exactly what I wanted. <laughs> But yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's what like, that, yeah, that's essentially what changed. I want to jump into. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it, it changed. It changed quite a bit. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I suppose I can just jump straight in and kind of maybe start with why I w- I got involved in the first place. And yeah, and, that would be wonderful. Yeah, like like what maybe walk us through uh, just like how you got involved in working on the infrastructure infra stuff that you've been talking about for the last year, and I mean maybe even go back all the way to before the. Uh, the Emberified Guide rewrite. Um, well, yeah, I think I'll, I'll start right at the beginning there because um, essentially last year at EmberConf, I gave a, a training on a little tool that I was building to kind of help people build apps relatively quickly. I hired somebody who's actually giving a talk this year at EmberConf, Julia Donaldson, and we worked together on like writing guides, very similar to like Ember guides, but like for this application framework thingy. And we had a, like a really brief conversation saying, you know, oh, how are we going to write this? And I, I just said to Julia that you should go and look at what the Ember guides are using. It's Ember. They're clearly going to be using something cool and doing things right. <laughs> so uh, we'll just copy what they do and uh, we'll work from there. I remember a few days later, Julia came back to me and was like, um, I'm not sure about what you said. So essentially... Really, at that point, it was like I, I saw that there was, I think it was just luck of the draw or whatever, but there was a few conversations, or maybe it happens happened quite a few times. There was a few conversations about improving the infrastructure happening mm-hmm. just around that time, back on the Ember Slack, yield Ember Slack. Um, yeah. And, rip. Uh, oh, yeah, rip, rip the Slack. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just kind of jumped in and was saying, you know, oh, actually... 
I kind of had to build these guides things for myself. So why don't I build the Ember guides and then use the same tech for myself, like I wanted to do originally. So build it for somebody else and then use it myself. So that kind of kicked off the process to turn the old Ruby middleman app that was powering the guides into a full Ember app, which was fun. I was kind of wondering about that. So you mentioned that before when you recommended to Julia that she'd take a look at the the guides, it was using middleman, which is, you know, when I think of static site generator, that's, you know, that's one of the ones that's at the top of my mind. Um, so what, what was deficient about that? Um, was it just like bringing it over to Ember to make it more Embry, like have, be an example or a flagship or? I don't have a full uh, view on how hard it was beforehand um, because I kind of came in and just was like, hey, why don't I just fix it? Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I think that the biggest issues with Middleman um, that we had had, at least from the very beginning, was, well, there were two things. First, the guides were, guides and the API docs were unversioned um, for quite mm-hmm. a long time. This is going back to like the 1.0 days. And every time we do release, we'd, we'd have to like run this whole process to slurp in the new API docs and update the guides in the main website. But since they weren't versioned, then there was no way for us to describe, like in the like like late 1.xs, there was no way for us to describe, like if you were coming in at like 1.10, there were actually things that were new, like the component helper maybe, for example. There are actually things that were new that you can't use if you're in a 1.0.0 app. And there was no way for us to like do the thing now where you can just like link to the guides or the API docs of of the version you're on, for example. And doing it with middleman would basically mean having a place where you generate the app and then freeze, like, not freeze it, but, like, make a copy of it, duplicate it, which then makes any sort of backport or, like, ah, you have a typo. Fixing any of that is really, really incredibly hard. Mm -hmm. And just to add to that as well, it was also this, like, for the versions when we did get them in, I think it was 1.10 was the first version one that I've got in the history here. When we did have that and they were doing the snapshots they were snapshotting just the output of whatever middleman was generating so the output of the styles the output of the templates and Mm -hmm. not only did you have the old docs you kind of had this weird wayback machine where you'd go back and look at the not so great design of them Mm -hmm. over time like the colors subtly change as you go back to yeah. versions, you know. Like and it's like instead it's of like being a, like a cream background, now it's a. It's like versioning <laughs> yeah. your your API documentation with Google Archive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So if you so if you really wanted to get this accurate, you'd have to like every time a new version is released, you'd have to rebuild every previous version. Yes. With the new styles and yeah, but that infers also that all the old style, all the old like markdown and whatever was set up for the right, uh, like had the right. Front matter, or like, cause, you know, sometimes that uh-huh. stuff's key keys. How you sort it, how you, how the tags work. Like, there's lots of things. I guess that's more that part's more for the API docs than for the the guides part. But it's like the same basic problem, right? Well, like just to add to that as well. Like the main thing here was that middleman isn't designed for a version system like this, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially the the main difference that I was doing was I was coming in with two goals: one, to build something that was designed for exactly the use case that we needed. And secondly, to make it really easy for people to contribute. Because another problem that we had, and it was solved only partially by Docker, was that this Ruby app that was powering the guides and the website wouldn't run on Windows. It wouldn't run on a lot of people's machines, even if they had Docker installed, because sometimes it would just fall over for no reason. Mm -hmm. 
So my, my goal was to make it so that the guides were just an NPM install, NPM start, and boom, you've got it running on your machine. Excellent. So what were the, what were the tools that you, uh, yeah, how, you worked how, on? I feel how, like... do we, uh, how do we move forward from the, the Stone Age here? So, yeah. the, <laughs> so the first thing I did was I went and looked at some of the experiments that uh, people were doing. And I think, I think it was Ryan Tablada. Is that how you say his name? Tablada? I think so. I think the first one. <laughs> um, yeah, so Ryan actually made this broccoli generator thing that turned Markdown into JSON in some format. It was specifically for a blog thing he was generate he was working on or, or kind of spiking out a, an experiment with. And I had to chat with him about this and was like, okay, maybe we could use this. Because my my ultimate goal, my my design here was to use this kind of broccoli pipeline thing to turn Markdown into JSON API and have this kind of fake API that's just static files. So you'd you know mm-hmm. ask something from uh, Ember Data, and it would just know how to get the file off disk in the in the static deployment or whatever, and then use that to render the the markdown properly. So that was where the first step of this puzzle kind of started with this thing uh, we created called Broccoli Static Site JSON. So it's essentially the job of its job is to take markdown with a bit of front matter, you know, optional front matter, and spit out compliant JSON API things that Ember Data will uh, recognize. And you can even do things like relationships and stuff in it, which is kind of cool, but it didn't end up being necessary for the guides app side of things. So how does this work in relation to the versioning part? Would it be just that you have as part of your structure the emitted JSON structure, the like the version number, or...? Well, this is the thing. Um, the question of like generating the old versions, uh, I think it was uh, Lox, aka Ricardo Mendes, uh, who had started a, like a spike of pulling out the markdowns into a separate npm or a GitHub repo, so that we could like use it as an npm install of the guide source. I think it was called originally, and the way that he structured it was just literally a folder that had the version numbers as part of the path. So you had a guides folder that had one folder for every version. And what we ended up doing with the Broccoli Static Site JSON is we did a little bit of uh, magic in the build file, in the uh, Ember CLI uh, build file, and we just created one Broccoli, what do we call them, plugin or whatever, for every one guide so that it would automatically generate things in the output uh, directory and you know you can get make use of the lovely broccoli caching so that if you're working on the latest version and not the old ones then you don't have to rebuild them every time which is interesting so so do these get thrown into the public assets so that they're they're loaded when yes. you need that version okay yes exactly so th- the whole point is that if you if you wanted to deploy this on something simple like S3 or whatever with Ember CLI deploy. And I think that's what our test, our original kind of staging deployment was. It was on S3. Because it's part of the output assets, it's just Ember CLI deploy build and Ember CLI deploy S3 pack or whatever, and then you don't have to do anything. 
because it's it's kind of under the hood. You it, you don't have to think about it anymore. And that was another thing that was part of this. You know, I I know a lot of people don't necessarily know how to build broccoli things, but the architecture of this whole system is relatively simple because each of the pieces are separated out. You know, you have a thing that's changing Markdown to JSON API. Okay, that's done. Then you have a, an adapter that knows how to get the right files for the version that you're current, currently selected. Mm-hmm. And then on the front end, because you've got a Ember data thing that works as you would expect, you're, you're just straight into building a standard Ember app for right. the rest of the guides, which is kind of cool. So is the format, like is the data structure format like something that's like uh, documented or obviously that means that the rest of the guides, the actual guides, sorry, the, the actual templates, the HPS templates are essentially just iterating over the like models and the model data, like whatever the, the thing happens to be you're showing in that particular template and then rendering the, the various properties or, or whatever, right? Like that's how it works, right? Yeah, so you're, you're kind of, uh, was it jumping the shark here? Uh, you're kind of uh, going into something that I wanted uh-huh. to talk about a okay. bit later. <laughs> but what you're, <laughs> what you're kind of describing is standardizing how the structure of the input documents are so that it, you know, it, it has this kind of uh, expected behavior mm-hmm. on the output, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So, so it feels more standard in the, in the Ember app side of things. But like the question, asking that question only really applies in the case when you've got one or two apps that want to use similar structure. Like it doesn't matter if there's one and it's all custom or whatever. But since we first did the guides as an Ember app, We've now released these CLI guides, which was uh, Jen Weber's um, main push, and, and I think she mm-hmm. did an RFC as well. And she championed it through. But that's built on the same tech as the Ember guides was. But it wasn't just a copy and paste job because we didn't want to have to maintain multiple things. At that point, I actually built a thing called GuideMaker, which is splitting out the like two pieces of the tech into add-ons, Ember add-ons, that kind of expect certain structures and then kind of enforce certain structures on your app by auto-installing tests into your Ember app that check that your guides are in the right uh, structure. <laughs> it sounds a bit weird, and there's a lot to, to unpack from what I just said. But uh... So the idea is that you make a new Ember app, you add, you install GuideMaker... Mm-hmm. Probably some other stuff, but let's just talk about GuideMaker for now. And that when the like the the host app is built or served or whatever, it looks at some conventional location to get like the stuff, and then like hand wave slightly because I think we're going to get into what that stuff is and how that works, and then emits a structure needed to uh, host the actual app templates and and whatnot. Right, that's like the basic idea, right? Yeah, absolutely. Gotcha. So the only thing that I will add there is when you said uh, create a new Ember app and then you add GuideMaker, you, uh, the quick start for GuideMaker says that you install two things, which is GuideMaker, which is like the engine, mm-hmm. the core thing, and GuideMaker default template. So the actual templating part of this is entirely separated from the thing that's doing all the, the back-end work, the, the, the hard 
broccoli stuff and things like uh, putting together uh, the list of Prember URLs so it will work nice and statically. So there's, that's, that's the guide maker core piece. And then when you're writing the template, you literally just have an add-on that has nothing but templates in it. It has no, no uh, data access because that's all provided by the system, which is kind of cool. So okay, so that's that's actually really neat. So if you were going, if you wanted to customize the look and feel then of the generation, you're talking, you you don't do that in your host app. You do that in the template, or you some things are in the app, yes. and some things are in the template, or I, like I, it's not immediately clear what the split is. And then if it's not in the app, then what is the app for? Like what the is app in there? is just there <laughs> to be a shell. Okay. Like one of the things that happens when you install GuideMaker, it actually runs a like a little. Like I, I don't even know what a lot of these things are called because it took me a bit of digging to find these Ember CLI APIs to do this stuff. But I know you can specify files to delete yep. when you, yep, when you install, um, them. install mm-hmm. an add-on. And we actually delete the application HBS in your host add-on, in your host app, gotcha. sorry. Because that's not dealt with by you, that's dealt with by the template. So literally the, the, the host app its only job is to provide whatever version of Ember you want to be using or whatever. So you and you that's the thing that's driving that. And then it has like a folder in it called guides, which is auto-generated by GuideMaker when you install it. And in it, it gives you like a few examples. So you can literally install these things and hit npm start, and then it's done. You know, you can you can see it running in your local machine. Okay, this is pretty cool. So I I will admit. To having recently cloned the guide source uh, repo because I, I saw a typo. I wanted to fix it and um, uh, review before I submitted in case I made another mistake. The, the process was like quite normal, like for an Ember app. So I think in, in it's, uh, I'm just poking at the repo here and it's, it's using, it's doing exactly what you said. And in here, there's an app folder, but it's basically only used for some styles and the bare required bits from EmberCL. Like there's an app slash app.js index.html and that's, and, and I think a router. I think that's, and that's basically it. What, even the router is empty. Uh, there's some the stuff, there's some stuff in the router to extend, ha, the route map is empty, yeah, but the, uh, there's some stuff in the, in there to track like uh, for analytics ah, yes. purposes and such. I think that's the only thing I think it's in there. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's part of the thing here. It's like, it's such a light touch to have the, the guide maker thing. It's like everything's over in somewhere else that you just don't have to think about. But if we did something where, you know, we made big changes to the, the router or something like that, and then you went to try and read somebody else's documentation to add Google Analytics to your system, then it wouldn't kind of match up. You know what I mean? You'd have to, you'd have to figure out, oh, how is this different from a normal Ember app and how do I match those two things together so that I get, you know, the Google Analytics that I need. But actually, to add analytics to something that's using GuideMaker, it's just literally follow the normal documentation for that add-on because it's a separate concern. There was something else that I want to circle back on, actually. Um, You said about uh, customizing your templates. And the way that you customize a template with something like GuideMaker <laughs> is that you don't customize the template. You build a new one. <laughs> and this, this, is, this is where like, a lot of my work has been to make it as easy as possible 
to develop these things. Because really, if you want to develop a new template, like what, what, I, what I said earlier on in the, in the quick start, you've got this guide maker uh, right. default template. That's not the one we're using for the mm-hmm. Ember guides. We have a guide maker Ember template. And that one is specific to the design and look and feel and like structure. There's a slight uh, structural difference between the Ember guides template and the default one. And essentially, what you should do if you want your own kind of template for something like this is you either fork one of the ones that's there or I'm actually working on a generator to help you generate a new template with kind of basic styles. But I'll talk about that later on. But the way that you work with this add-on that provides the styles, I've set up the Ember one at least to so that if you downloaded the add-on and ran it, it doesn't run it against all of the the old guides. It has like a few example ones with like a, a an example Markdown file that has all mm-hmm. of the things in the Markdown that you'd you'd expect, so that you could. You're, it's essentially like developing any add-on you have a dummy app that's running and you make it work for the dummy app and then when you're happy with it you can install it into the host app and you'll get the styles as you would expect from the dummy app which is kind of cool so you mentioned that guidebacker sets up some tests to make sure you don't uh totally screw yourself over tell me about how that how that works and and I, I am sensing a theme. So I'm poking around a little bit at how GuideMaker works and whatnot. And I'm sensing a theme like there's just a, there's a combination of packages. Like it's, uh, it's a bunch of different packages where the packages themselves are mostly focused. Like GuideMaker does the thing it does. And then there's like some validator packages. There's like, is that, is that how, is that, is that right? Like, yeah. So I said that when you install GuideMaker as an add-on, auto-generates a few tests for you. And one of them is the guide maker link checker. And the link checker is interesting because we've, we've all had the problem when you're writing markdown links and even just general links on pages of like regular HTML pages. If you're linking to something that is kind of a relative link, so up one level and down to a different folder or whatever you want to call it, you can get that wrong in so many ways. And the last thing that we want for the Ember guides is when somebody's like referring to, oh, go and check the component documentation, they click that link and it goes somewhere or it goes to the mm-hmm. wrong place or it doesn't go anywhere at all and they get the, the 404 page. So there's two things that we had to do. First of all, because relative links change depending on whether mm-hmm. or not you've got a trailing slash in your URL, so can I tell you, like, I don't know, 15 or 20-year-old me uh, uh, would really have loved to listen to this podcast to figure that out. I have spent, <laughs> I, I can't, like, uncountable hours trying to figure out, why is this not working when I go to this page? And uh, it turns out <laughs> it's the slash thing. And, like, once you rationalize it, okay, you can think, ah, oh, it makes sense because if you have a slash, you were, quote-unquote, inside that folder. So everything relative is rooted to the folder. But it's very not obvious if you just have been a user of the web. Anyways, sorry. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's, that's exactly the thing because, you know, you... You went through that. We've we've all gone through that at various times. I went through that about a year ago or or less, and I had to figure out why were the, why were these links breaking sometimes and then not breaking other times. And in 
again, in the true Ember way, I want, once I did find it, once I did find the problem, I was like, oh, how do I fix this so that anybody ever using this system will never have to feel this pain again? So the two things I did was uh, the, the default blueprint auto-installs this new location thing that enforces mm-hmm. a training slash. It's just a simple little tweak to it. And then we have a link checker, so it auto-generates a bunch of tests, like one test, I think, per... I can't remember if it's generating tests or not, but it, it essentially tests each one of your markdown files and checks if there's a relative link that it's the, the destination that it's going to exists. Gotcha. And now, is it doing it in like a fast boot sense, or how does it know? Like, how does it define exists? So this is this is this is exactly the point. It's the the thing that defines exists is the is dependent on your application. Because if your application, mm-hmm. like in our case, we've we've enforced trailing slash. Sure, yeah. We could have done it the other way around. We could have enforced no trailing slash. So that means that you need to go up one level and check that mm-hmm. the uh, relative link is correct. You know what I mean? But there's a there's a bunch of different rules. So it's like dependent on application. And in our case, GuideMaker is the one that's making that call. This sure, is what yeah. we mean by exists because we have a, a trailing slash. We make sure that there is that any link to the guides is always a relative link if it's the same version in the folder that you're in. <laughs> so you can link to different versions, a guide, a page in a different version, but you can't link to a guide in the same version that you're in right now if, it's, if you could use a relative link. So that's one of the tests that it does. It makes sure that the link itself has a training slash so you don't mm-hmm. get yourself out of this like painful situation or you get yourself back into the painful situation. So there's like five or six different things that kind of deal with that question of gotcha. does a link exist? That's uh, pretty so, neat. Uh, it seems okay. hard. <laughs> so yeah, so so tying all this together, I, I see that a number of the official Ember projects are already using this tool set. Say I was to start a brand new project and I called it Fast Smoot. How would I go about adding guides to it? The thing that I'm working on at the moment, both in GuideMaker and uh, the blog engine that I, I want to talk about if we have time, they're kind of designed to be subdomains in their own right. So in our case, we've got guides.emberjs.com. So if you want to build uh, guides for your new uh, project, you can just follow the GuideMaker uh uh, quick start, which is at on GitHub in the Empress org, Empress slash GuideMaker. You just create your Ember app, install a GuideMaker and GuideMaker default template, assuming you don't want to be using the Ember. Yeah, because obviously be fast smooth is not related to Ember at all. It's not. A, no, that's not an official uh, uh, Ember project. <laughs> <laughs> fast fast smooth. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, so when you when you install those two um, add-ons, it, it as I was saying, it auto-generates like an example and the tests, so that you can start deleting the examples or adding to the examples. And when you're ready to ship it, I usually tend to put things on Netlify now. So 
because it's an Ember app, Netlify knows how to deal with it perfectly. And because GuideMaker mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. automatically installs Prember, which is an amazing add-on, as soon as you put it on Netlify, it will work with a, a fast <laughs> boot-like experience, not a fast Couldn't be more different. experience. It's something entirely different. <laughs> <laughs> and then because it's Netlify, it's up and running. And in fact, it's it's even quicker because I have I do have a quick start in the README, but there's a super quick start, I think I called it, which is just a Netlify auto-deploy button, which if you really want to get started right no, away... No, I have not I used one before. I've done a similar thing uh, with like Heroku, like where you... Uh, it's like basically bootstrapping the project, right? And deploying is like a, I'm going to say canned version, but that's probably not the way, right way to put it. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what it is that it deploys, though, if you click this button. so I don't know what happens in, in Heroku land, but what Netlify does is they essentially create a repo in your GitHub and then do the Netlify step afterwards, which is just the normal Netlify step from the created GitHub, which is kind of cool. Okay, so so tying all this to, together, though, basically what you've created uh, is a tool chain to create like really easy to update and manage and maintain uh, versioned guide repos or something else. I mean, it could be used for other things, but that's like the the main thrust, right? Yeah, that is correct. That the, the the versioned aspect is optional. So Robert's going to get the experience now after clicking the Netlify button of an unversioned <laughs> fast smooth documentation site. And because essentially if you're starting documentation, the likelihood is that most people will not have multiple versions. And when you as you grow and as you end up lasting for 7 years as an open source project, you'll have many versions that you'll need to uh, keep track of. So it's like an additive thing. It's like this whole pipeline that the tool chains are designed to make it easy to actually use, but also designed to kind of grow with you as you need them. Yeah, for sure. Um, which is kind of cool. I'm, I'm kind of I'm trying to think of it from the customer's point of view. You know, I know it's all open source, but it's like, you know, I want mm-hmm. to try and make it as, as good an experience for the person who's trying to use this thing. Right, and that person is somebody who's trying to voluntary, vol- like volunteer to actually, you know, modify d- documents and, and guides and stuff. So, like protecting their time does make sense, right? Yeah, and and like we we all know how hard it is to write documentation, and if you have to go and learn a whole system on how to write documentation before you write your documentation. A, you're going to procrastinate. And yeah, not that's write the kryptonite to writing and to doing any writing. Literally, actually. the the ah, I have to write a blog post. Uh, I will write a blog post. Write a blog, a blog. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that um, <laughs> because uh, this this whole like split of the GuideMaker engine thingy, it actually came from a, a bit of a weekend project that I did, like about a year ago. Again, this, a lot of this came from a year ago. I was doing all this stuff with the guides before we split it into Guide Maker and the template and stuff. And I was like, do you know what? This is kind of cool. I wonder if I can use it to write a blog. And I've wanted like a static ghost-like blog for a long yep. time. So yep. the, the, the admin side was the number app and then the, they have a whole backend thing. And I think now they can also use different uh, front ends, different back ends. You can use the back end with a different front end. Uh, there's lots of different things you can do with it, but it's actually really quite neat. 
Yeah, it's really cool. They they launched some cool stuff with the API this January as well. So yeah, that's I'm not sure exactly what it can do, but uh, yeah, it's probably something I need to figure out because I'm using some of their stuff. But essentially, what I wanted was I wanted their template, mm. and they call their default template Casper, and I wanted it to be a static Ember app, and I wanted to use Ember because well, yeah. <laughs> Like I tried to justify this to other people because there's a like I don't know if you know the staticgen.io website. It is a list of all the static generator systems that there are, and I think there's about three thousand on that site. And there's always new ones being added every week. So I could have gone and uh, used one of the ones that's there. And I think there was even Casper, but yeah, I didn't want to use one of those because. As a true hacker, I wanted to build it myself. <laughs> and that was kind of part, part of the point of this weekend project. I wanted to see if I could do it with this, like, static site JSON stuff, the broccoli stuff that I've been doing. And uh, interestingly, Ghost happens to use Handlebars for its templates. So Handlebars is quite close to what we use nowadays. So I ended up forking the official Ghost template deleting all the uh, Node-y stuff that they had, layering on an Ember app or an Ember add-on, and uh, did all Broccoli stuff to it. And I was able to get the their Casper template running as this kind of like static gen posty thing, like uh, very similar to the guides, very similar setup. You just have Markdown and it auto-generates statically this site for you. Uh, in about three or four days, so it was it was very cool. Okay, that's pretty cool. So it was most of the work in addonifying the 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 thing that the Ghost templates did uh, initially. Like, I agree, there's tons of similarity, and probably loads and loads of the styles got to be reused in most of the structure of the HTML. But there's like some things that just don't have. That just don't work the same between server render to handlebars like template and uh, an Ember thing. So I'm curious just how much, like you said, four or five days, but like that, you know, probably don't sleep very much, you know. <laughs> the, the biggest thing, to be honest, was uh, getting the post CSS pipeline to work exactly the same. I see. Because, uh, like, yeah, those sort of processing pipelines can, can be a bit um, temperamental with their versioning. Yeah, which was uh, which was not fun. So uh, okay, so at this point though, the template uh, I, I see this is under uh, Impress uh, slash Ember Ghost Casper template. Is that right? It says yes. it was forked so, from Try Ghost Casper, but I wasn't sure yes. if that was the one. Okay. Well, it, well, this is the kind of interesting bit because uh, what I said earlier on about us kind of jumping head with the whole Empress engine thing and templates, like. That learning on how to split those two out, that you have the, the thing that's powering the back end and then the template separate, came out of my experiments with this uh, Ember Ghost thing. And although it's now called Ember Ghost Casper Template, it used to be called Ember Casper Template, where mm. there wasn't a split between the back end parts and the template parts. So you could only just do Casper in this thing. And then I, you know, as part of this experiment, I was like, oh, actually, hold on a second. What if we split it apart, made the templates? And then what you see now as Ember Goes Casper template 
is kind of the same echoing of what I said earlier on as the, the guide maker thing. So you have something that deals with the maybe the harder parts of the building the the actual markdowns into JSONs and you know pulling it all together. And then you have a, a Casper template. If you're looking at it on, on the on GitHub, you probably see that there's nothing in there. You know, there's just a few templates in in the app uh, folder. And that's all you need if you want to write your own static Ember Ghost template. Oh, it seems pretty, pretty cool. Um, I also see you have some alternate templates. There's the Attila one. So, okay, so tell me the story. Uh, it, it, I'm just curious at this point. It doesn't actually matter. But um, tell me the story of, like, how do you even synchronize these? Like, do you just, like, look at the diffs between what the upstream ghost folks have changed? Or, do you, like, what is that? How, like, do, does it matter? Do you only look, go to do it when you care to have an update or something? Well, yeah. So the Casper template one is definitely due for a, a resync because that was very early on. And, you know, I, I didn't know how, how delicate I needed it to be with the diffs so that you could actually get some of the changes from upstream. The Attila template is kind of, again, it's a later part of the project and it was part of this separate thing where I knew that I wanted templates to be separate. So I, I knew to change as like literally as little as possible. But I've also added some other fun things where in the Ember Ghost, the engine part of this, the, the, the kind of core part of this, I've added some of the helpers that the, that the Ghost template documentation has for when you're writing Ghost templates. So... Although that sometimes the syntax is slightly different between a handlebars helper and an ember helper, they're still very similar. So you can you can kind of cheat just a little bit more and make it so that you don't have to That's, change as much. So, but because you can, you know, Ember supports defining these helpers the same way. You can just define them in the shared location in the in the Ember Ghost, not like the thing that hosts the app. Uh, and you don't have to redo the work on every individual yes. template. That's pretty good. Now, are there a lot of? I've I've never looked into this. I have a ghost blog. I love I love ghost blogs, but I've never really looked into actually making my own template or anything. Are there a lot of templates? Is that a thing? Like, is it like a large list to select from, or there only a handful? There were a handful of open source ones. There was a few paid ones as well. But uh, in January, they launched. I think four new open source ones and a like starter template as well that I haven't had a chance yet to to port to Ember Ghost but uh, well sure but the the beauty of this this arrangement is that roughly it is the thing anybody can look and see and how to do right like this is a pretty neat pretty neat separation yeah i do actually have this a there's one like one last thing on to make it easier for people to write their own templates is that I've got a, a create Ember Ghost template, I think it's called. And that means that you can literally do, I think you can do the yarn. I don't know how you do it in yarn, actually, but I know in, in NPM you do NPM init Ember Ghost template, and it runs this create Ember Ghost template thing. And that literally gets you starting straight away. Yeah, I vaguely think the yarn version is yarn space create space thing. And then it, it just looks for a package named create thing. Uh, and it runs its main, I think. 
once you've created that, it does all the work of installing all the extra fun things and setting up a dummy app for you, and you can just do npm start, and you're starting the add-on to make your template, which is fun. Um, I will say, just before we kind of go any further and say Ember Ghost any <laughs> too many times, it's having a, a brand change. I'm changing it away from being Ember Ghost because it's caused a little bit of confusion for people because they go, Wait, oh, which how also does this work with Ember, right? I'm like, <laughs> it's kind of roughly compatible. Yes, exactly. And it's like, I d it's one of these things where I kind of want people to think, because it's very roughly compatible with a lot of things, it's very close. I want people to think that it's similar, but I don't want people to get confused. Right. It may be something easier to call out in your guide or your readme than have it in the name. Yes, exactly. And, and another thing is, when I named it, it was before we had this Empress idea. And what the new name is essentially Empress Blog is what it's going to be called. So I, I'm, I'm assuming it's like a, so this is totally a guess, Ember Press or like, like basically exactly. like the, yeah, okay. Yeah, so, it's, it's, the, it's Ember's View Press. It's also um, with a the, pretty cool name, so. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I was like, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I was coming up with the, game, the, the names for it and it was like, hold on, I'll just do the View Press thing. I was like, oh my God, that just works. And I, <laughs> The next so time, was, so they say naming amazing. is hard. Next time, I'm just calling you. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> that Be one, on look that out one for was some uh, Discord, uh, <laughs> yeah, Discord DMs. Uh, hey, I need a variable. Uh, what should I call it? But yeah, Empress is maybe a little bit different than the than the uh, ViewPress and Gatsby style things. It's it's not a it's not a project that you install that does anything for you. It's kind of at the moment, it's a rough collection of add-ons and things and ways of developing. And it's, it's kind of, it's crystallizing over time. But uh, yeah, all of these things are under the Empress umbrella, right? So in, um, in, now, did you use this for your blog or ha like, have, you, have you used it in anger much? So the, I've used it for my company blog back when I was a, a free agent, which I'm not anymore. I now work for Simplabs, which is kind of amazing. Fun, very fun times. Lots of um, good friends over Simplabs, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great to be, like, I'm, I'm kind of super pro-Europe, so being part of the, the European Ember agency is, like, really cool for me. But, yeah, so I don't currently use it for anything that's live, but we are in the process of porting the Ember blog to Empress blog. Cool. which is a project that is being headed up by Amy uh, Lamb, who joined the learning team at the same time that I did. Cool. It sounds, sounds pretty awesome. So lots of, lots of Ember. So I have, I have one last question, and then we should probably head, head to wrap. But on the Ember series of sites, so there's guides.embergist.com, there's cli.embergist.com, there's the blog, uh, which will eventually be its own thing, mm -hmm. like you mentioned. There's like the landing page, there's what is it, deprecations app, there's builds mm -hmm. app, there's what else? All of those are separate Ember apps so far. Or or will be, like the blog is not yet, but you said it's, it's working on it. Mm -hmm. Have you given much thought to consolidating and figuring out how these things can work together, yet stay developed independently? Things like engines or or even like shared assets, something like that. Like basically, it's a little bit unfortunate that you click a link from the homepage to go to CLI guides and like it's basically a full page refresh. Like you lose that single page app experience. 
So I'm curious if, if that's a thing you've thought about much. Yeah, I've thought about it. We've thought about it on the learning team quite a lot. And essentially, there's, there's places where we think that's okay. So if you're on the website and you go to the guides, we think that's okay. Because the guides is like its own app. It's its own subdomain. You know, the same is true for the API, actually. And there's a plan to move API from being a subfolder to being a subdomain so that it's, it's clear that it is like its own thing. And when you're developing it, you're developing it independently from the website. I said already mm-hmm. that the blog is going the same way. Deprecations has used to be part of this whole website stuff, but it was converted to an Ember app last year by uh, Serena Fritz who gave a talk about it at EmberConf last year, which was great. And that's going to be a subdomain as well. But the the builds app, the the releases app, the status board, those have both been incorporated into the new Emberified Ember website, which will hopefully be launching next week sometime. That's awesome. Yes. Uh, There's a... Just for the audience, there's no guarantee of times on features uh, in, included in this podcast. <laughs> well, I didn't say a date, so it's this. Uh, I now have an, an, a somewhat infinite timeline to release the That's web. Great. Yeah, the, that's great. The well, um, well, this sounds uh, sounds awesome. I um, I think th- like this is all like really really cool to learn how it works. I, I've just been working in the guides to try to like review things like as we work on like Octane stuff and try to figure out how that works. And the fact that you can just have a PR that auto deploys and you can have like essentially a branch. In this case, it probably will be somewhat long lived because Octane is going to take a period of time to like settle out and work on the polish and and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's really awesome to be able to just have this thing. Ah, let's throw it up. Let's deploy it. And it kind of just like just works. And I, I can clone it and use it just like I would and work in any other Ember app. And uh, it is much more convenient to me as a primarily JavaScript developer to to do and pull in than than say like the middleman setup or that was like forever ago. It also is really helpful. Uh, so I started ratcheting down some of the lint settings um, in the Markdown lint, and there's some stuff that like really make it convenient to like uh, so you don't accidentally do the wrong things in your Markdown because as you know, Markdown can be like basically anything you want it to be. So all that is uh, is really mm-hmm. awesome. So I wanted to thank you for for working on that and putting that stuff together. Yeah, there's been a lot of uh, a lot of real good contributions to this as well since it's been like turned into an Ember app as well. Like that was that was one of the key motivations for me. Like I wanted to be in the shadows, making it a thing that nobody noticed when it released. But mm-hmm. I also wanted to improve the the ability to contribute to the guide's content. But also, if people wanted to make changes to the templates, you know, they didn't have to learn Ruby or Middleman or any of this stuff, you know. Yeah, it just lowers the barrier to entry, like, to the subset of people that already know Ember, which is, like, lots of the people using the guides <laughs> and the docs. Yeah. Right. Turn, turns out we have this pool of uh, developers that know the tech. Is there anything that uh, the community can do to, like, can I help you with development? Like, is it, would it help you if uh, people started adopting this on maybe personal blogs or something and giving feedback on like architecture? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I do want more people to be using this, the, the Empress blog on personal blogs, because it's really stable right now. And I've been using it for almost a year. And we're about to start using it for the, the, for the Ember 
blog. One of the things that's holding us back on the Ember side of things is that there's quite a lot of blogs that have been collected over the last seven years. So we have to make sure that pagination works absolutely perfectly. And in a static environment, that's a little bit tricky. Hmm. So uh, <laughs> we're, we're working on that. But if you've got a small blog and you're willing to try it out, I'm always available on uh, Twitter or Discord. Uh, if anybody has any questions, but yeah. Yeah, speaking of uh, your blog, do you have uh, maybe a central place where if people are curious about all this work, um, where they could maybe see like a blog post or something that describes it? That's a good question. I'm currently in the process of writing a blog series about a lot of the stuff that we talked about today. I'm almost entirely a year behind on that um, <laughs> because... I've been writing the blog engine and yeah, yeah, you blog. fell into the pit that we talked about before. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Hopefully, I'll be it the happens. last person to fall into the pit. So that's fine. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, thank you for walking us through all that stuff. That was uh, really cool. It seems like whole tool chain is really amazing. It's really, really come a long way, yeah, for sure. Yes, for for sure. So. Uh, I just wanted to thank you for all the work and for your taking the time to to come out here and talk to us for a little while on on all this stuff and maybe uh, give you an opportunity to uh, shout out your handle on Twitter and uh, Discord. So if people want to get in touch with you, they can. Yeah, so I'm I'm real eight everywhere. That's real underscore A-T-E. Don't ask me where that name came from because it's a <laughs> stupid teenager name that you can't get rid of. Um, Tell me about uh, it. I'm RWG Blue, right? Come on. <laughs> Mine's Ron LSD. So. This just sounds like a name. I mean, yeah. kind of, but not my name. People anyway. actually call me Rondale, and I'm like, that's not Anyways, a real name. Sorry. But yeah, yeah so really, you, Chris. Relate everywhere. So it's like Twitter, um, any, anywhere that allows underscores for sign ins, <laughs> which is another problem say, is it, with is having it Dash on GitHub? Because uh, originally it, GitHub no, didn't allow underscores. No, I, I went for the other thing, my, my surname, uh, Mansona. I would pay a large amount of money for GitHub to allow underscores. <laughs> <laughs> do they indeed, still not? Indeed. I know they didn't they initially, still but I thought maybe they... Oh, man. Maybe they'll do yeah, like a, check, a premium feature like Discord. A premium feature, yes. Absolutely. I would pay a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Well, we'll be sure to link to um, a lot of these projects for people to follow along, and we'll make sure to link to your uh, your Twitter as well. Well, I think that's all the time we have for this week. I'm Jonathan Jackson. I'm Chase McCarthy. I'm Robert Jackson. This was a great episode. Thanks again for for joining us, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>